we took some time to focus a little bit on, on God's love and his grace uh, for us. And uh, then we celebrated the Lord's Supper together. And recognizing the beauty of our salvation is, is really a God-given gift to us. And not only is it a gift to us in a, in a general sense, but it is a gift specifically to us because God is really the initiator of our spiritual development. He's the one that uses circumstances and he uses uh, situations in life. He brings us to a place where we almost cannot miss it. He brings us to such a place where a decision can be made, not simply one that is just hoping that somehow it'll happen, but he lays the heart, he lays our life, he lays our plans, he lays all the cross pieces of life and brings us to a place where there he is. And he gives it to us as a gift. Uh, turn with me to Ephesians uh, chapter 1, and we're going to read uh, most of these same scriptures again this morning, starting with verse 3, and we will lead down to uh, verse 14. Ephesians chapter 1, we'll start with verses 3 and read down through 14. Now praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Let's pause and pray. Father, we are humbled by the fact that before the beginning of time, you had a purpose and plan for each and every one of us. That you have so orchestrated life, you have so predetermined life, you have so established life, that you bring us to a place that to say yes is really not difficult. To respond positively is not something that takes us beyond our understanding. You brought together circumstances so that it's only appropriate, it's right, it's obvious, it's clear. Thank you, Lord, 
that you brought us. And not only that you brought us, but you've enabled us to grasp and understand these things in a way that faith becomes real to us. Not only is it real to us, but this same faith has so influenced our lives that we are truly a different kind of people. We praise you, Lord, for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. As I mentioned uh, a little earlier in introduction, we realize that we, according to verses 4 and 5, that we have been predestined to be adopted as his children. The beauty of our faith is not only that God has uh, somewhat set in motion certain things that will become outcomes in our life. Uh, some would take this in a, in a one extreme sense to simply say that God has somewhat rolled the dice and some of us are extremely lucky and the rest of us, well, that's just the way life is. To take predestination to one extreme and to simply teach that there is some kind of an atonement that is limited to humanity. And only some people are fortunate to have benefited from the goodness and favor of God, and the rest of them simply have no chance, no opportunity, no way of ever coming to a place of putting faith in Jesus Christ. That is one extreme. And my purpose is not to discredit that. My purpose is to elevate the beauty of this grace and how that this grace has been handed to all humanity regardless of our past, regardless of, of our, our current struggles, regardless of whether we are born to seem de- seemingly as rebels or we have a tender willingness to want to know the things of God, God has granted salvation to all of humanity because of Jesus Christ. Because of the price he paid and because of the love he demonstrated, because of the goodness and his willingness to die for all humanity, the beauty of predestination is to understand that I am truly a fortunate person today if I've come to face. The purpose of teaching predestination is not to create a pride in the fact that I've got what somebody else doesn't have, but I have something that in spite of whether everybody has it, I am fortunate that God has enabled me to see it, to understand, to humbly get to the place where I say, I will take that. Can you imagine racing through life and never really have known the Lord Jesus Christ in a personal way. You've never known the, the richness or the beauty or the warmth and the intimacy of salvation. Can you imagine being struggling through life, wondering why doesn't it seemingly fit or make sense? What we want to address today is the concept of adoption, the concept of the fact that there is a loving Father and you and I become children of the Almighty God. Because adoption is something that's important for us to grasp that not only has two parts to that, that is that there is a father of love, but there is the acceptance of the child. And that's the way that our faith has been presented to us, not only intellectually, but personally, and we experience that, that there is a responsibility, there's a cooperation with us, and that is within this marvelous plan of God. God knows how to bring us to a place well, we sooner or later say, I'd be fool, a fool to keep running, to keep racing, to going through life without receiving the beauty of this salvation. We're all familiar with a, a, a child who may have uh, been orphaned. We're familiar with circumstances in life which seem to be awful in our generation and world that a child could be neglected or abandoned or set out. 
on its own. But God has so chosen to move in the hearts of people to adopt a child, to demonstrate a love that is not really just any child, but one that has come across their path, that has come in contact with us, and we choose to love the child as if he or she is our very own. And as much as it may move our hearts and we think about the beauty of reaching out into another child's life, a parent who would give themselves and devote themselves to take this child and call it our own. That's what our salvation's about. That's what God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. We think in terms of the fact that you and I, having come to a place where we've gone through all the experience of life and in the natural sense we seemingly are living our life with somewhat of a carefree approach to life. We do what we want, we go what we want, we say what we want, we do what we want. And God begins through his spirit to bring us to a place where we know that we are not connected to God. We are not a child of God. Our ways are different, our ideas are different, our, our thoughts are different. We simply just live a life all of our own. And somehow through the spirit, God brings us to a place where he says, I love you. And you and I respond to that love, and we choose to say, I'm willing to be your child. The child is no longer belonging to their past. The child now belongs to a new set of parents with a new relationship, new rights, new privileges, a new name, a new identity, and a new future inheritance. When we think in terms of adoption, particularly spiritually, we recognize salvation is so much more than I simply decided I'd really like to think about Jesus or follow him, but salvation and adoption go together. And your security in Christ and the guarantee that he will be there in the finish line is somewhat connected to the fact that you've been adopted. You and I are now children of God. The concept of adoption is uh, relatively easy for us to grasp when we think in the natural sense, but as it applies to the transaction of God and how he imparts to us this kind of unique relationship is a little bit more difficult for us to try to fully embrace and to hold on to. But when it comes to our faith in Jesus Christ, our spiritual adoption is what binds us to the Heavenly Father. It's what calls us sons and daughters of the Almighty. And we are now joint heirs with Jesus Christ. These are the, the fruits, the benefits of what we might recognize as adoption. We see in Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 5, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ. As much as it may be difficult to explain, I trust that you'll bear with me and we allow the Spirit to impart to us not only a better clarity or understanding about the beauty of adoption, but particularly what we must respond in our hearts is, what does that mean to who I am and what does it mean to how I live? That's what's important in understanding the relationship with Jesus Christ. What's important to note is that spiritually speaking, in order for adoption to take place in the spiritual sense, you must have 
a new birthday. There's a day in which uh, God has uh, set up the circumstances. He brought about the events. He has brought us to a place in which you and I come to faith in what is known as being born again. In order to be adopted into the family of God, it's a little different than, in humanly speaking, the natural sense. Uh, typically, when a child is adopted, they're already born to a set of parents, and so they are, at whatever the age they are, someone chooses to reach out and invite you into their home. So they don't really get a second birthday, but one thing they truly get is a second identity. And that's what we're trying to recognize when, spiritually speaking, the way we are brought into the family of God is that we have what is called the day of our spiritual birth. We come to faith that determines our eternal destiny. And sometimes we say, well, how can a decision here determine where I end up here? Well, it's the concept of who you are that explains that. The confusion might be is I can decide to follow Jesus today, but by tomorrow I might forget. When it comes to a relationship with God and comes to adoption, we recognize our security is in the relationship that Jesus Christ has established. And by you and I responding to that invitation, that openness to uh, his, his will, his plan for your life, that is what secures or establishes our salvation in him. There's a time, there's an hour, a moment in which it becomes very clear and definitive in our lives when we are known as his child. Most of us are more familiar with the idea of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ than possibly the how or the when that relationship first begins. And yet there is a quickening in which the Holy Spirit begins to work in our lives, enabling us to not only grasp the importance or significance but it brings about quite often a conviction that my place, my heart is not where it ought to be, and the Holy Spirit enables the heart to be prepared. It begins to get softened. It begins to bring us to a place where we want almost desperately for this relationship to be what it ought to be. This is the work of God in preparing the heart. He alters the thought processes. He works in our minds he brings us to a place in which Jesus uh, offers that hope or promise to us. He says it this way, you must be born again. It's important to understand the significance or the emphasis upon that. And so the whole concept text of John chapter 3, and when we think in John 3.16 that God loved the world so much that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, that is tied together with the beauty that the Spirit of God is at work in a person's life, and you and I humbly acknowledge, God at work, I want to be his child, I want to belong to him. I give my life to Jesus Christ, and that is the establishment of that new birth. Now, what we want to look at is in the Gospel of John chapter 1, prior to those verses, if you'd like to turn with me, that would probably be very beneficial. The Gospel of John chapter 1, we want to read verses 12 and 13. Because we're trying to understand, uh, in some sense, that, that this new birth of God is connected to your identity as a child of God. And if we indeed are children of God, that is because through His Holy Spirit, we've been birthed into a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
and that is what is known as adoption is we belong to him and he belongs to us he is our heavenly father we communicate in prayer and we communicate in worship that he is my abba father he is my intimate father he is my daddy daddy we come into a relationship because of adoption that we can climb up on his lap and say lord these are my needs my concerns this is what breaks my heart this is what my life is desperately in need of your touch i need this relationship and we can have confidence that when we come to him he's not going to say leave the basis is who we are we are a child of the king we belong to him that's our confidence and it begins with concepts such as this new birth john chapter 1 verses 12 and 13 yet to all who received him to those who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of god children born not of natural descent nor of a human decision or a husband's will but born of god i trust that as we continue to journey on through our growth and understanding our seeking our crying out to god we might understand the day of our salvation is sacred it's holy we may not remember specifically when we may not remember the date but the reality is when we come to face you're a child of god and sometimes if we bypass the the a work of the holy spirit and we simply try to say well i just live a good life because if i start living a good life or living a better life than when i get to the finish line obviously god will look upon my goodness and i will enter into heaven the scriptures do not teach that what the scriptures teach is that we have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light that we were once not a people but now we are the people of god that we become a new creation in Christ the old is past the new has come we are the people of god and god has chosen to do this through his spirit and his word and i trust that we would recognize that our salvation is not based so much upon what you and i have done by any means but it's the grace of god in enabling us to see with our own eyes that there's a father of amazing love that that love has somehow communicated not only the mysteries of those realities but it has gotten to our heart and he has granted us and established upon us that we are the children of god we are the people of god that he has imparted to us his own very presence in our lives adoption is our new birth it's a seed of god planted within our hearts It's a spiritual work of God choosing us, calling us, binding us, sealing us by means of the Holy Spirit. And he has done this in the inner person. He's established that deep within our hearts. The truth is, the result is, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, we look at uh verse 4 and we look at verse 5. for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy to be blameless 
Why do we ever change? Why is our character formed? Why is our lives shaped? Some would say, because I chose to do that. The deeper truth is, it's because he chose to do it in us. We're going to grow up like our parents, whether we like it or not. (laughs) We're going to take on character qualities and shape, not only because that we see that in in kind of the human type of, of dynamics of life, but it's because God has committed his Holy Spirit to establish holiness within us. And the way that we know, indeed, we're children of God is because God is going to continue to do what he began in our life. And so all the evidences and the realities of relationship with God and the new birth isn't so much that I've got to learn what I'm supposed to be doing. It's I'm simply going to become like the child I am. Because of what God has done in you in creating this new life and this new birth, you're going to bear fruit of a relationship with God. And that's what First uh, John clearly makes known to us is that these are the evidences, indeed, that we are the people of God, is it's going to manifest itself in the beauty of a holiness, in the beauty of a, of a quality of life. Now, some of us, we might get a little scared. Holiness seems like a pretty big word, and blamelessness, boy, that really hits the head. But I trust that some of us aren't simply saying, you know what I want out of this stuff today, because I really didn't want to become holy, and I didn't want to become blameless. I trust that the Spirit of God had began to work in our lives might assure us that he's still at work in our lives. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. That what he began, he's going to complete. And our focus is upon Jesus Christ. The key is our attitude about what Christ has done. That's the evidence. It's a love relationship in which we are responding to the one who literally has provided all things for us. And so in that response and in the attitude of the heart and in the deep longings and the motives in our heart, we want to be like Jesus Christ. Our only hope of ever moving in that direction at all is the Jesus guy actually lives inside of us. And the Spirit of God is constantly at work. Well, let's uh, break this down a little bit more because I, I believe it's important for us to recognize as we attempted to look at the book of Ephesians is that we ought to admire or be so overwhelmingly fascinated with the beauty of God and and what he has done in our life up to this point and what he wants to do in the future because that's a heartbeat of what Ephesians is all about is there's a loving father who has committed himself to loving humanity and that love got to us on one occasion, on one day, at one circumstance that love has gripped us in a way that we choose to humbly say Lord, do your great uh, work Um, One thing that uh, might be confusing to us is we may have been accustomed, uh, maybe through teachings or whatever it might be, or some of our own ideas, that we we, we hear the requirement that you must be born again, because that's sort of the beginning work of where all this takes place, that um, it might be hard for some of us to grasp that you can't born again yourself. So if you hear the requirement or the challenge, you must be born again, I trust it humbles us today because we realize the only way you get to go to heaven is you must be born again, but you can't do it. Have you come to a place where you realize that Jesus Christ has done something in you that you can't take credit for? You can't pat yourself on the back. You can't say, B, I'm amazingly smart. Or I've got one up on someone else. 
we must understand the beauty of Ephesians is this grace that has driven us. It's captured us. It's consumed us. It's begun a work in us. And the true reality, the seed of God, is we have come to a place where he has brought us down and he's lifted us up. He's spoken into our life and he's called us out. He has done such a marvelous work that we honestly, truly must conclude all praise to God because he called me out. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but I see I don't fully understand, but I know one thing. As of today, as of right now, Jesus got to me. And I trust that's our testimony, that's a heartbeat, it's the foundation. Because sometimes we get the idea that my faith is because I decided, my faith is because I wanted, my faith is because I didn't want to go to hell, so I pushed the Jesus button. Somehow, as long as you and I feel in some way, in some element, that there's something you did to get saved, Ephesians isn't going to mean a thing to us. I trust we can bring ourselves back to humbly realize the only thing I have is called a gift. And God has done that. And that's the soil of what lets the life of God begin to germinate. It's what allows us to humbly acknowledge that I'm, I'm able now to confess all my sin because he promised to take it all. I'm able to come to a place where I can be absolutely, completely vulnerable. That I don't have to fear on what I might have to hide from God or try to keep a secret. My life can be transformed from the inside out because it's he who has begun this great and glorious work and it's he who promised to finish and it's he, it's he, it's he, it's he. It's about Jesus Christ. Are we with us today? I trust we could come to the place where we relinquish the concepts of control and we lay them at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, you win. You got me. Your love has found a way. It's brought me to a place where this life can now begin. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 through 10. I read that once again. I want us to recognize the emphasis upon the gift and emphasize that it's not by works, for it is by grace you've been saved. Through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not by works. No one can boast. Have we laid our boast at the altar? Have we come to the place where the pride is relinquished? Have we come to the place where I realize I go to heaven. Why? Because there's a Savior that has passionately pursued me. All the twists and turns of life, all the disappointments, all the setbacks, all the heartache, all the drama. And he's brought me to a place where I know as of today, the Savior has spoken life into me. John chapter 6. We wonder, did Jesus actually teach this kind of stuff? Did Jesus actually communicate within the gospel message of life? Or is Jesus more like, you know what, I'm going to give you one chance, you either take it or leave it kind of thing. We need to recognize the richness of God's word as it networks itself together. That there are deeper truths that prepare us for this life to come. In order for us to become a kind of holy and blameless people, we have to begin to allow what's already there in our minds and in our hearts to be dealt with. 
That's what the salvation life is about. Sometimes we come to faith and we think that if I begin doing these things or begin believing these things or begin applying these things, I get to go to heaven regardless of my past. The gospel is that God has come through Jesus Christ to deal with our past. And the way he deals with the past is he brings us to a place where I am absolutely convinced with all evidence and testimony of truth, I cannot save myself. As a matter of fact, I can't save myself. I must come to a place where I acknowledge and the reality is there isn't anything I can do. All I can do is respond in a humble and sacred yes. What often happens when we begin to take ownership or responsibility or we drive in the pin or the stake or we begin to to say this is what I'm going to do is we often find ourselves controlling quite often the flow of God's grace and His Spirit. It becomes too much of me and not so much of Him. John chapter 6, verse 35. John chapter 6 and verse 35. I'm sorry, we're, I'm looking at the wrong one. John chapter 6 and... Um, Verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. Verse 65. John chapter 6. He went on to say... This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. Salvation is an enablement, a divine enablement. It's God has begun a work in our mind. He has begun a fine-tuning of the heart. He has enabled us to by grace, see, I cannot save myself. There's nothing I can do to manipulate God. There's nothing I can do to twist his arm. There's nothing I can do to bring myself to a good place where he can save me. It's important to understand pure grace is pure gift. And the pure grace and the pure gift is necessary to bring us to the place where we would relinquish ourselves to the leading of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, what Jesus also taught in the same chapter is how you and I cooperate and respond with the beauty of this free flow of grace. This is what Jesus said. In the same context, he takes the idea that you can't do anything about it, but then he takes it and he adds to that, and he says, verse 35, John chapter 6 and verse 35. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, I don't think I've ever been really hungry where I thought I was going to die and starve to death. But I know what it's like to be extremely thirsty and have no water 
And my brothers and I, we were backpacking one time in the mountains, and we somehow were young and full and ambitious of ourselves, and off we go, not realizing that, you know, at some point you're going to get thirsty out there, and, and you're really not as uh, 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 self-sufficient as you think. When somebody offers you a drink of water, and you are desperate for water, just imagine for a moment what it's like. A cool glass of water, and you literally wonder, how much longer you can make it. Well, the same thing is with the food. Jesus says to those who are hungry, why would we be hungry? Why would we be thirsty, spiritually speaking? We tried to save ourselves. We tried to live a good life. We tried to win our own salvation. We tried to earn it. We tried to manipulate it. We tried to work it. We've been overwhelmed in life because we feel more like failures than successes. We know what it's like to try to, to live in a way that I'm in charge and I'm in control. And Jesus offers the people because the contrast is the religious leaders believed that they were already saved, already secure. They did it their way. They did it in their timing. They did it by their own power. And Jesus communicates a gospel to an entirely different mindset and world. He said, there are those, religiously speaking, they pull all the levers, push all the buttons, they get what they want, they claim what they want, they uphold what they want, they do whatever they want. It's all about what they do, they get. Jesus says, if you're hungry, if you're thirsty, he says, I'll give it to you. Can we humbly come to the place where we acknowledge this whole life of following Jesus is not where you put your finger. It's where you let your heart go. Can he feed us out of his plate? Can he give us his bread? Can he give us his drink? Can we so trust in him that he knows what's best? He knows the amount. He knows all of those details. Can we come to a place where we completely rest in what he wants to do in our life? The secret to the beauty of life that God has come given to us in Jesus Christ is that we trust the person of Jesus Christ. And we simply eat, we simply drink from his hands. Verse 40, he goes on to say, For my Father's will is this, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. What a powerful promise. But again, Jesus is reinforcing. He said, this is the will of God. There are those who have extreme views that believe that the only people get saved are the only ones that the lucky dice has rolled. The atonement is limited. It's established. It's fixed. It's set. Jesus said, this is the will. If there's any selection that Jesus has, he says, it's this. There are those who will believe, and there are those who will not. There's those that save themselves or try to, and there's those that rest in him. He said, this is my will. This is the fixed principle. This is the decree. This is the covenant I made with humanity. Those who believe, go to heaven. So the believing is so much more than just a head thing. It's simply a way of complete surrender of our lives. We believe in Jesus Christ as the source of salvation. He is the work of salvation. He's the finisher of salvation. It's all about Jesus Christ. And our faith is in him, what he's doing, what he will do, and what he promises 
to do in the future. He goes on in verse 45, again, with powerful, powerful concepts. In verse 45, it is written in the prophets. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. How is he going to teach all humanity outside of the fact that he has promised to pour his spirit out upon all humanity and so that we will know who God is? But I guess the choice is, if I'm still filled with, filled with pride of some sense, if I still want to save myself, if I still like the push-button Christianity version, if I still like the kinds of things that I'm in control of what happens and how the circumstances event, it's going to come out and look entirely different. Jesus is bringing us to a place where we could simply surrender and yield ourselves to trusting in his leading, his direction, his purposes, his plans. Can we trust him? Can we let grace do what grace is intended to do? And we respond in holy adoration to the King of Kings for what he has done. Verse 51, one more. I'm the living bread, Jesus said, that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he'll live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. As we learn and we, we consider the beauty of eating and drinking from the, the life of Jesus Christ, we recognize a couple on the practical applications is that Jesus spoke and taught every single day as he went about ministering to people. And he said that his words are spirit and they are life. Those words are the essence of the life he gives. And so by receiving these words and and embracing these words. They produce the ability to believe in him. He's not going to force us. He's not going to twist our arms. Predestination isn't something that he is simply just going to make it happen for you. It's just in predestination, he sets certain laws and principles in order, and those evolve around him and his words. And by humbly coming to a place and simply saying, yes, Jesus, you win, it's going to begin to do that work in us. If there's anything we can do or anything we should do, there are numerous scriptures that tie together similar concepts to hunger and thirst. I simply want to uh, refer to some of these so that we understand that this is not a new concept of coming to faith. It's, it's as old as creation and it's as long as the world has been in place. And then we'll bring it back to the application here as we uh, 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 pull this, this together. Jeremiah chapter 29. Uh, probably uh, one of the, the rich promises that uh, many of us are familiar with in Jeremiah chapter 29 is, is, uh, is, is stated in verse 11. And in some sense, this is a, a foundational concept that whatever God is doing in your life, he already knows uh, pretty much where you're going. He knows all the, the, the details of the life. He knows what we think and how we feel and where we're going to become. But alongside of that is God also has a, 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 a noble plan for your life. We may not uh, quite often walk in the fullness of that plan and purpose. Usually we're, we're living less than because we sort of got an agenda going on um, now and then, maybe every day. But by his grace, he keeps bringing us and turning us back. His purpose and plan 
is stated in, in verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. It's particularly applicable to God's people who are in bondage in Babylon. And he's assuring them, he said, I got plans for you after the 70-year period. I'm bringing you back and I'm going to reinstate you as the people of God and give you your nation back, your identity back, and everything else. Well, that kind of ties together, I trust you can see, to our identity in Christ. There's a point in which God's going to do a great work in your life and mine. That's his purpose and plan. And give us back our identity, our land, our promises, all the things that come with the benefits of living for Christ. But notice in verses 12 and 13, he says, this is what's going to happen that ties together with the beauty of God's plan. In verse 12, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. If there's ever anything we must recognize about bringing a balance of God's adoption into the mix, is somehow we must warm up to the idea that we like being a child of God. It must not only be something we kind of like the idea but it must be our priority in life. We must humbly come to a place where it's not only the priority of truly seeking God, but he becomes the true priority of the center of our lives. If we try to resist it and fight it, then the whole thing falls to pieces, and it seemingly is evidence that there's something wrong with that. I remember, and I've used this illustration before, when we adopted two of our daughters, I remember the first one is where the real jolt was. Because they looked at uh, the first daughter that was going to be adopted, and after all this is going, you know, I mean, we got the whole day set up and planned and everything else. This is great. We're going to adopt uh, our daughter and everything else. And they said to her in the courtroom, is this what you want in legal terms? And I remember sitting back and thinking, since when does she have a say in this matter? And if you know my daughter, Danielle, she's not the kind that says, well, yeah, this is a great idea. She says, well, I want to kind of think about it kind of thing. I mean, you've got to understand the beauty of adoption is the formation of a relationship between the two parties, and there needs to be an agreement. And when we come to faith, there's this agreement. And the way we demonstrate the agreement is I have set as a priority to my life the seeking of the will of my Father. It is seeking His purpose and His plan and what solidifies or what brings together the oneness of that rich, beautiful adoption is we realize that we are going to gain so much more by giving our lives to God than he is going to gain by us coming to him. He simply gives us love. He gives us devotion. Now, some of us might feel like God's getting a pretty good deal. I mean, look at me, you know, kind of thing. And uh, somehow that, that pride thing comes to a place where we realize that the beauty is that through this adoption it is expressed in our longings to be united and unified uh, with the Father. Um, Isaiah chapter 55 and verses 6 and 7. Now we're recognizing that relationship is, is the context of these. Isaiah chapter 55 verses 6 and 7. We tie together the concept of forgiveness. We tie uh, uh, the concepts of restoration when we become the people of God. There's an agreement taking place between the two. God has is, is committed himself in covenant terms to, to literally pour out 
his favor upon our lives and we come in covenant terms and say, I give you my will, I give you my heart, I give you my life. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. To our God, for he will freely or abundantly pardon. In other words, we come to a place we might not think about our adoption as having to deal with sin, but it has a lot to deal with the acknowledgement of the sin in our lives. Maybe that sin may not be things that we can list or say that these are particular sins in my life, but as long as I'm simply living with me as the priority of my life, then sad news is that sin. Sin is to live simply with my will above God's will. And when we come to this place when the will of God begins to become uh, uh, clear to us, that my life is not about centered about me, it's about centering upon the Lord Jesus Christ, that that is a necessary acknowledgement. I'm going to confess that the road I've been traveling is all about me. And today, or the day of salvation, I come to acknowledge that the road I choose to travel now is in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So the sin doesn't have to be you committed one of the top ten. It doesn't mean you have to commit a specific documented type of sin. Sin is simply you've missed the purpose and plan of God for our lives. And any of us who are humbly willing to come to the truth must acknowledge that we're not born on the right side of the tracks. We are not born as the people of God. We are bought by the blood of Jesus Christ into this adopted relationship. And so we humbly acknowledge that my life now belongs to Jesus Christ. And that is where that adoption reality uh, comes into place. There's so many other aspects we can look at. And I simply want to uh, assure us as we approach into the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians is all about love that comes through Jesus Christ. And that love might seem as if it comes with heavy responsibility. And yet that responsibility becomes so minimized. We realize all that Jesus Christ has done for us and wants to do in our life, we'd be fools to not take and offer our hands, our hearts, our lives to him and receive that love. What do we have to lose if we give up a lot of the things of this life that simply keep biting us in the rear end anyway? There's so many things in life that we... We feel like we might have to, to, to surrender or lose out somewhere on the pleasures and the satisfactions and joys of life, and yet we have no idea about the beautiful satisfaction that comes to the heart when it's truly yielded and surrendered to Jesus Christ. And that's the message, the heartbeat of Ephesians. It's all about this grace that God has provided in his son Jesus Christ. It's all about a love that simply will not quit. And I trust that that love has come to a some point knocking on your heart. And you've come to drink in, to receive this, this love. It's a gift. It's a blessing. Let's pray. Father, as we search through the scriptures, we recognize there's so many factors of truth that seem to bring our minds to a place where we think more clearly and understand more deeply. Forgive us for the seasons of life that we have simply done what we want to do to gain where we want to go and to accomplish 
our own purpose and plans, we pray, God, that you'd bring us to a place where our salvation is, is once again enriched. And we realize that it's all because of Jesus, and it'll always be because of Jesus. We pray that Jesus would be the focus of our attention, commitment, and devotion. And we pray as we look in the book of Revelation pertaining to the church at Ephesus, that we would find ourselves returning once again to our first love, and that's to you, Lord Jesus. We praise you, O God, for what you're doing among us and will continue to do, and I pray for each and every one here today that possibly there may be some here even among us who have not come to the place where we've yielded our hearts to your purpose and plan. I pray, God, as your grace is actively moving and your spirit may be stirring even in our hearts, that as some are here today, and they know they need to give themselves to you, that they might be compelled and sensitive to say yes. And I invite, while everyone's eyes are closed and heads bowed, if there's any here today, you know that God loves you. That's never been a question. But you've been struggling with the idea of loving him with your heart. I invite you to make a commitment, a decision, that you'd open yourself up to him even today. Maybe you could look up to me, and I can recognize I'd be able to agree with you in prayer, or you can raise your hand or whatever it might be. I want to pray for you. Okay? All right. Okay. Father, you're the one that searches our hearts, and you're the one that saves us. You're the one that does such a great and glorious work, and we rejoice in that. We thank you not only that you have promised us a salvation, but you've adopted us. You sealed it in your blood. You've established a covenant that will go on through eternity. That now we're yours and you are mine. And I praise you and rejoice with even those that made decisions today. I commit them all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.